Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that's been resting on its plow. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Sorry about that, listeners. We've had a bit of a break while I moved house, really. I thought we were moving the entire Well, we had to dismantle it brick by brick. Yeah, it was problematic. about the thousands of books that you moved as well. As Cicero would say, they, they give the bunker its soul. And soul is something that, we're, that we, we consider very important on the podcast. I've just got an intervention banner ready for the next time I see you walk into anywhere with a bag of uh, books from a charity shop. Did I show you the ones I bought from Oxfam yesterday? You did not. But oh. I'm not surprised. You have a problem, mate. No, there's a couple of nice Joseph Cannon ones. I'm very excited. I found a new spy novelist whose books I don't own. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, How many books has he produced? Oh, a good dozen, I think. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of coming back from things... This podcast on political comebacks. As you can see, our segues haven't improved, but the level of nuanced analysis may well have done. The intro, Steve, as well as being garbled and professional, there was also a classical in- reference to that, wasn't there? Because resting on this plan, of course, is what Cincinnatus was doing. We all know which politician likes to make outrageous classical references to make it look like he knows stuff. Yeah, yes, that would be uh, one Alexander Boris, or Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, after he finished being Prime Minister, he'd not only said, after the Vista baby, which is not a classical reference. It's a classic movie reference. Um, he said that he would be, he'd go, like Cincinnatus, he'd be resting on his plough. Obviously significant because Cincinnatus actually came back twice. So all the journalists that looked it up on Wikipedia then realised this was very, very witty and daring because Johnson came back twice. We'll get to Cincinnatus later, but given, essentially, because this is the first podcast we've done in a, in a, a few weeks, and Boris Johnson wants to come back, as we're seeing about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Donald Trump wants to make a comeback. Liz Truss wants to make a comeback. In fact, um, what, what, what I can give you a fact about Cincinnati now is that he was in power twice. First for 16 days, and also then the second time for 21 days. He was very much your quick fixer, um, who get in, sort it, and then leave. So actually, Liz Truss was in power for longer than Cincinnati was. Oh, well, at least somebody served uh, a shorter term than she mm. did. In fact, probably if you combine the combined power, the, the total power of Cincinnati and Lady Jane Grey, that probably just about equals Liz Truss in those glorious 46 days. What honoured company she keeps. So, political comebacks. There's a really interesting Politico podcast on this subject, which we're not going to quite plagiarise, but we're going to talk around. So something I thought was interesting is... There's a, a point made on it by a, one of those politics professors they have now, is that many prime ministers went into the wilderness at some point. <clears throat> so it mentions Andrew Bourne-Lowell was a minister of the Lord George government and then came back in 1922, hence the committee. Um, Stanley Baldwin lost two elections. He called a snap election and lost his majority. That wouldn't happen nowadays, Steve. Obviously not, no. But as so he came back, um, Winston Churchill obviously was in the wilderness and then came back, and then lost an election and he came back as well. And Anthony Eden as well, 
he resigned over appeasement, I think it was in 1938, yep. was in the wilderness, brought back in the Churchill government. The last Prime Minister who won an election and then came back as Prime Minister, of course, is the one and only Harold Wilson, very much the, the granddaddy of the pod, a kind of the honoured president of Not Enough Champagne. Now, what you'll notice about all of those, Steve, I suppose, is there from a very long time ago. Why have we got so many political comebacks happening in the past, why why is this list stopped at Harry Wilson and not got further? Uh, I mean, I, I think there's two kind of core reasons for that. Uh, one is the environment that politicians operate in is very, very different. We now live in an age of 24-hour news. We live in an age of social media, um, and even with 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 Wilson, like you know, television was there. But it was not necessarily the all-powerful media form that it that it is now, and, and and it became. Like you didn't have cable TV, you didn't have Sky, you didn't have all of these other bits and pieces. It was just here's your two, three channels probably at that point. Um, well, nineteen eighty, I think. So yeah, yeah three, three channels. Yeah, so three channels. Um, as 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 a result of which, it's very, you know, and only so much of that is news. Um, therefore, there's there's not as much of a an opportunity for narratives to take hold or for, um, you know, lack of a better term, screw-ups to be put under the microscope to the, to the same degree. Even though television could have operated quicker than, say, the press, like, it didn't. It took its lead from the press, and because the press was still working on the same kind of timescale as it was before, like, politics didn't change until... Um, Everything became more urgent. Everything became a need to produce more headlines quicker um, for effectively the need to just get more eyeballs on, on products to drive more profits. Like The political discourse stays static. And it isn't really up until, you say, up until the 80s, really, um, where you start to see kind of some changes kind of coming in into this regard. As you say, you start getting more uh, TV channels being created in the form of Channel 4. Beyond that, you end up with cable, then you end up with satellite TV and all of these other things coming in. And, of course, the advent of 24-hour rolling news. And with that, you have the advent of we need to talk about things constantly. That's then fed more and more into by social media, and you just end up with like a, 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 a snowball that just gathers momentum and momentum and momentum, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which ultimately results in you can't... There's no leeway anymore for a politician once you've screwed up a lot of the time that's it that's the reason why we haven't seen many comebacks since i would argue why we're suddenly getting a uh a a a deluge of politicians thinking that they are the exception to the rule and they can indeed make a comeback on the national stage despite all their failings self-delusion i guess would be the main thing um, but I, I think it just very much just uh, feeds into, certainly on the right, and maybe to a degree on the left as well, when you look at how certain elements of the left respond to the likes of Jeremy Corbyn and, and things like that. Um, there is just the, uh, the, the the notion that if we just find the right person, all of our problems will be will be solved, and that, prob that one person will have all of the answers and the solutions. That's why you're seeing Tory MPs start trying to bring back 
Boris Johnson. It's well, why it's not all Tory MPs. Well, do. Some, Otherwise, they would have elected him. That's true. It's how the votes work. Yeah. Um, some Tory MPs are trying to bring back uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, it's why Liz Truss, despite the fact that her ideas were largely the, the the thing that caused all the problems for her in the first place, uh, it's why she thinks she can come back because she like if you want to be prime minister of or the leader of any com- country. You need to be a narcissist to a certain degree because you've got to think that you are the right person at this right point in time to solve the nation's problems. I think the global is confidence, Steve. I go with narcissist. As a result of that, it comes with the the downside of that. A lot of those people probably are narcissistic in one form or another, um, and uh, when they do find themselves um, failing due to their own shortcomings couldn't possibly be their fault. Somebody did something against them. Oh, there was a, uh, you know, a conspiracy against me. Oh, I wasn't given enough time. Oh, you know, something else stopped me. I hear it's because Sue Gray is actually a Labour plot. Indeed, indeed. Um, and and uh, as, as a result, and when you have a political and media environment that's quite fractured, where people are just able to surround themselves in their own echo chamber, it becomes very easy for these people to think that, you know what, actually, no, I was treated badly, I should get another shake of it. Yeah, what's, what's, what, what I find really interesting about these sorts of people who are wanting to find their way back into like the national discourse, though, is, and this kind of goes back to what you're talking about in terms of like those classical references, these people seem to think that somehow it will be different this time, when in reality... You know, it's Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill. They're going to hit the exact same situation and the same problems again, and everything's going to come roll, tumbling back down again. And they're just going to continue trying the same thing over and over and over. You may, did you just make a classical reference? You did. You're trying to look clever and become Prime Minister again? Oh, absolutely, yes. Right. <clears throat> a few things then, aren't there? So, I think you're... I, I, I think you're right in the rolling news is a massive part of the reason to have political comebacks. I think it's also the reason why you don't have uh, as long political careers as you would have done. So you look at someone like James Callaghan, who had three officers of state, went into opposition, comes back, is foreign secretary, prime minister, has 20, 25 years at the top. I don't think that's possible in the kind of political environment you have nowadays. Yeah, and I think I think a big part of that about is the uh, is the, the fact that an awful lot of the people that are getting to the top are then seeing anything that's not being prime minister as a as a downgrade, and I think that's largely as a result of the fact that a lot of them don't quite get the public service angle of what being an MP and being uh, being prime minister is meant to be. And for all her faults. Theresa May is actually a good example of somebody you could argue has had a bit of a political comeback, but it's on the back benches. Like, she's doing her job and doing it quite well, holding the government to account on things where she doesn't like what's being said or what they're doing, um, and doing it effectively. Like, in a lot of ways, Theresa May is demonstrating the public service notion of being a politician and an MP that I don't think we've necessarily seen from a former prime minister since... Wilson, maybe? I think it's hard with Wilson. Well, Wilson did a... Yeah, he did a... I think he was asked to do a commission for Callaghan, but I think with Wilson it was very much health issues. Yeah. Um, is that, though, because Theresa May is the least media-conscious Prime Minister of our lifetime? 
Maybe. She didn't go out to cultivate relationships with journalists, famously not clubbable. Maybe, but someone that like, people like Blair and I suppose Tony Blair resigned as as, a, as an MP straight after becoming Prime Minister. Someone like David Cameron, I, I think, essentially almost resigned a few months afterwards because he realised he was going to rebel on grammar schools and uh, <clears throat> essentially he thought he'd be a distraction yeah. if he was, a, yeah, he didn't feel he was adding anything to the House of Commons and you can make your own jokes there, I'm sure, listeners. Um, but I wonder if that's why May's different. I think it's also the the the, the, the sort of glare in the public service, isn't it? So I, I think it's the same with leaders of the opposition. Harold Wilson stays on as Labour leader after losing the election. Clement Attlee stays on after losing the election as Prime Minister. Ted Heath lost two elections to Wilson, so lost in 64 and in 66 before winning in 1970. And only, the, the Tories only just about, in fact, loses in February 74 as well. So loses sort of three out of the four elections he's in, but no one acts to replace with Mrs Thatcher until uh, he loses the October 74 one. And even then, he doesn't really understand why he's been ousted. Whereas you get the... I know Steve Richards has made this point, that essentially, as leader of the opposition, you get one shot. You can't really do a Kinnock nowadays and chip away a majority over a, a decade. Is that because of sort of Gordon Brown's view seem to be that politicians have maybe six or seven years in the limelight? And once you're in the limelight for six or seven years, the public are bored of you. I think there's probably something to that notion uh, in and of itself, but I think what you've also got to got to consider is that I just don't think there's necessarily been the the right people to actually kind of make that work. Um, and again, maybe it's just because the uh, you know the, the 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 political culture has just changed that those sorts of people can't get to the top job anymore. Um, but as you say, like the the, the Neil Kinnock slow and steady. Well, in Kinnick's case, doesn't quite win the race, but you know, gets you into a very strong position, and then somebody else takes you over the line. Um, like I, I can absolutely imagine that being a thing that could could happen. You know, in theory, that could have happened with Corbyn. Um, didn't win the twenty seventeen uh, election, but did well enough that no, nobody, uh, uh, despite expectations in a lot of ways, to make everyone go all right. Okay, we'll give you enough of, enough of a shake. So I think if you're far enough behind and you're able to make significant growth, then yeah, I think people enough people will go, okay, that's fine. You just need to be, we can give you a bit more time. Um, but that's it after that point. The problem is the timing of elections and when these things happen and, and, and then everything means that in that truncated media lifetime that you have as a politician now um and, and i would wager in a lot of ways it's probably not even like six seven years in terms of being interesting i'd, I'd rage that the novelty wears off a lot sooner than that um you're you're not going to get very many people who get the situation where they've got two elections so so close to uh, so close together um at least you'd hope you don't because that implies something's gone horribly wrong Maybe it's just the strain it takes on you as a person. So Ed Miliband stood down as Labour leader in 2015 because he couldn't face having to talk to Cameron again at PMQs and it'd be the, the sort of the ripping there. Yeah. And it's more about the, the strain it takes on you because suppose politics is very, very different to what it was in the 60s and 70s where MPs are essentially doing a lot of the casework, social work aside, 
as much as they are doing debates in the house. Yep. Well, so this idea of betrayal, maybe, and this self-delusion is maybe a key factor in Truss and Johnson. I think Brexit's almost a, fa- a factor in that, the way that, that sort of psychology is taken over the Tory party. But I think it, ha- it seems to happen with any leader that's brought down very, very quickly that isn't of their own free will. Yep. So, uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher still thinks she could maybe try and come back in the early 90s and Harold Macmillan's thinking he might be able to lead a government of national unity in the 70s and Lloyd George in the Norway debate in 1940 still thinking he might be able to come back and be, become a compromised candidate. So maybe that's just something about when you've been a leader and it's it's taken away from you. It's tricky. Yeah, when you've reached the top of the mountain, like, I can absolutely imagine it's difficult to accept that you're not there anymore, um, especially as... Like you know, you know, you name all of those individuals there. Like Lord George, despite all his faults, very effective politician, did a lot of good. Um, so you can certainly imagine someone like him could easily have gone. Look at who else there is. They're not as good as me. They need to be here. Hard when you're uh, up against Churchill, though, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, it is. But uh, yeah, you know. If anyone was less like anyone was less woke than Churchill in the Commons in 1940, we was Lloyd George. <laughs> what has changed though is its cabinet ministers returning. So between 1945 and 2010, twelve cabinet ministers were sacked and came back. Between 2010 and 2023, there have been 28. Wow. Um, that's that's interesting. I mean, it'd be quite. So, what was it in? What was the first? So, twelve yeah. in seventy-five years, and yeah. then twenty-eight in thirteen. Do you want to know the theory put from the man on the podcast? Oh, can I do mine? Of course, my, my theory. We'll see if it's the same. The conservative backbenches are really shallow. And that is genuinely the issue for for them more than anything else. And so, when you do have people coming and going, it's it's normally a sign that you don't have people actually capable enough to replace them. Are you saying that Rishi Sunak's just too scared to make Jonathan Gullis and Gary Sandbrook ministers? I mean... So the, the theory put forward, which I, I can... Uh, I think has, has some truth to it. So because leaders now elected by membership ballots in the way they weren't in the 50s and yeah. 60s, a leader now has a personal mandate from the party and that therefore is a mandate for bringing in your own ministerial team. Yeah. So when Douglas Home replaces Macmillan in 63, he has to keep most of the same ministers. Because they're the same, they're the same big wigs that have got influence and pull on the party, they're not going to go anywhere, therefore he's starting yeah. to keep them happy to be effective. Yeah, exactly. And, you, and the same when Callaghan succeeds Wilson. It, there isn't that massive mandate for change. But... I, mean, I, th- I think a lot of that figure is probably inflated by the Liz Trust stuff. Because obviously Suella Braverman is one of those people, despite the fact she, you know, she was yeah. reappointed six days after she was sacked. No, she resigned. And, oh, it's a long time ago. So it feels like prime ministerial comebacks don't really happen in the modern era. Although Rishi Sunak is maybe an exception to that. But actually, Hunt and Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak are all examples, I think, of ministerial comebacks, as is someone like, say, Michael Hazeltine, yeah. who resigned and came back. And Peter Mandelson, one of the biggest comebacks, I suppose. Yeah. And these all happened at moments of crises. So you've got 
obviously Sunak and Jeremy Hunt coming in after Liz Truss crashed the British economy into a wall. Uh, Peter Mandelson came back at a period of crisis in Gordon Brown's premiership. Mm -hmm. I forget which one, there were a few. Um, If we want to look internationally, which we should, because we're a cosmopolitan podcast, you could look at Charles de Gaulle returning in 1968 after the protests and saving the Republic. Um, Now, what I don't see is a scenario in which the Conservative Party says, there is a crisis, Steve, a huge crisis, and therefore the solution to the crisis is we're going to bring back Boris Johnson and this trust. Yeah, that is very much the uh, the, the problem that they have, um, especially as so much of the, the problems they had were of their own making, uh, <laughs> to, to put it politely. I mean, could we go as far as to say all of the problems, apart from, well, apart from maybe the pandemic, but... Yeah, I mean, but even then, you could you could say that uh, the way that the that Johnson handled the pandemic is mm, yeah. maybe say that organising lockdown parties in the middle of a pandemic. Was... Remember, that's all Sue Gray's fault. Okay, she organised the parties. Didn't yeah, she? Uh, yeah. Apparently, now that's that's the line that's being taken. Apparently, yeah. um, God bless the Tory right. It's uh, watching them kind of froth at the mouth on Twitter today has been an absolute joy. We should talk about that. On Patreon, maybe. Yes, I think we should. And we're really sorry, Champagne. At some point, we'll invite you over to the new bunker. <laughs> but I suppose maybe that almost fits the point in that it's, especially if you're a cabinet minister, that's more out of the media glare than, say, prime minister, leader of the opposition. <clears throat> it is easier, maybe, to come back. Yeah, well, I think a big part of it's just that it's it's quite easy to like. Let's say you're if you're booted out from your position because of a reshuffle, or you've just got to play nice out in the wilderness for a little bit, and maybe you'll get brought back. Or if you've had to resign for an issue, well, like again, be penitent, you know, be repentant, apologise, go away in in the wilderness for a bit, and you can come back. It, it, it's very easy to kind of do that because a lot of those things you know they're they're a, they're a big story for a bit and then you can kind of but they, then the public discourse moves on so much of what prime ministers do hangs around so much more in the public perception and as a result of that it's a lot harder for people to to change their minds about people and also this is this is the other thing everybody knows who the prime minister is most people couldn't tell you the name of a cabinet who holds what cabinet position. So as much as politicos spend a lot of time kind of talking about Suella Braverman, bet you most people don't know who she is. No, well, I envy them. I, yeah, it is. It would be a glorious position to be in. But uh, no, I, I th- that's a really good point actually. So it would be interesting for someone like Michael Gove, who's got very high name recognition, if he were to have to be forced to resign in something scandalous. Because I think he's been booted out, but I don't think he's been had been forced to resign for anything. No. Um, and uh, as, as a result, I think somebody like him might might struggle because everybody at least recognises the name Michael Gove. They may not be able to point if you put a lineup in front of them. They might not be able to say that one there, the one dancing. Yeah, presumably. yeah. But yeah, like people probably won't be able to say what he looks like, but they know the name. I wonder though. It, uh, maybe another factor is in terms of cabinet ministers coming back is it's more politics as a, as a career nowadays. So say John Profumo, the 
man who named the perfume affair after himself. Mm-hmm. He then spent the rest of his life sort of atoning, doing charity work, yeah. left politics. Whereas now <clears throat> most people tend to see politics more as a career that you are in for for the, the long term. Unless you're a Tory MP in a seat that looks hard to defend in the next election, in which case... Let's go off and become an international banker. Yeah, or... Hello, the Sag. Or, um... No, the Sag. Or Tristan Hunt, when he, um, you know, dark days of the Corbyn years, when he decides to take a post in the BNA. So I wonder if that means you're more likely to come back as a minister, because people are... I realise this is a slightly more contradictory point to me saying that you've got people like Callahan around for a long time. But I wonder, do you think there's some some form of adjacency there? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think effectively what it really boils down to is there are two sorts of politicians. Your ones who are there for the long haul, regardless, and the ones who are kind of career more career minded. Um, and after a, they, they like they view it as a job, a job where they can do some good. Um, but beyond a certain point, they realise, you know what, I've I've done this. I think I've achieved everything I'm going to be able to achieve, or I'm just so sick of it. Like 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 with any job, let's let's, let's be honest. Um, Speak for yourself, Steve. And I'm not saying anything because I know you'll edit it out. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to the 2064 Birmingham local elections as much as anyone else is. Um, but yeah, because because you have people who are more career minded and effectively go, well, you know what? Let's let's move on. Like uh, Jeremy Brown for the Lib Dems, for instance, mm. was a really good example. I remember when he announced that he wasn't going to stand again, um, partially probably driven by the uh, by the polling uh, and everything, and he realised, well, I'm probably going to lose the seat. So, do I really want to throw myself into this? Um, for for a, for a losing battle, I remember there were being like some on the Lib Dem like social media groups, people being apoplectic about it that he was only doing eight years. Think about it: eight years and one job is a very long time. Like that, most people don't spend that amount of time in in a single role or position. Um, and especially, yes, being an MP is very well paid, but in many ways, it's a bloody thankless job. Mm. Like the, the amount of things that you have to do that are not technically a part of the job, but you have to do them because you're an MP. Um, never mind campaigning just to maintain your position, but just all of the random stuff that comes with being an MP of like, and it may not seem particularly onerous, but going along to the afternoon, the summer fate in the, of, of an afternoon, yeah, it's not a hard thing to do, but that's your Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. I'd like to think there's something we've tried to do as a as a podcast in. What I'm not going to call our oeuvre is try and make a case that politics is vaguely noble and uh, and rather than this kind of instinctive anti-politics cynicism, although we are very cynical about lots of things, but not generally about the motives of politicians because it's it's a really, really hard job and it's one that's very easily denigrated, but incredibly difficult to do especially now and especially well, we haven't even talked about social media actually yeah, I mean, the social media stuff is yeah in, in in many many ways i don't think i'd want to be a be a national politician and in many many ways i definitely wouldn't want to be prime minister well i've got some good news for you then steve i'm never going to be prime minister i know no. that much uh, th- i mean there's a couple of things i wanted to talk about before we went I mean, one of them is richard nixon just because i find richard nixon inherently fascinating 
who I suppose obviously is the daddy of all comebacks, who lost the gubernatorial contest in California in 1962. Yeah, and then eventually he came back to become president of Earth uh, in the year 3000. I've watched the documentary that is Futurama. Okay, that's fine then. Um, And uh, should we we finish by talking about Cincinnatus? Yes, let's. Okay, so Cincinnatus was a farmer and he wasn't really interested in being a, a, a sort of permanent head. He was essentially summoned uh, to sort of say, a bit, I'm guessing a bit like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. You sort of go in there, you've got a problem. This is why he only did 37 days in total. You know, you go in there, sort things out for a couple of weeks, then leave. He basically did it on on behalf of the aristocracy as well. Doesn't really do it on behalf of the plebeian class. So he's he's very much... That you're, he's more your de Gaulle, the restorer of the Republic. He's not your... No, very much not your <laughs> Robespierre. Um, but the first time, he they, they come across him in the field and he's found naked because he's got no toga. And my first thought was, that feels a bit Putin-esque, actually. Yeah. Um, my second thought was, I hope that is not how Boris Johnson makes his comeback. And on that horrific thought. We haven't even talked about Donald Trump's comeback. Let's not. Because if we talk about it, it might become real. Let's pretend it's not happening that way. Like, DeSantis ain't great. But no. In some ways, he might be worse than Trump. But I don't think I can cope with Trump again. It's been really nice not to think about him, hasn't it? it? Really is. I hope it's been anguish not thinking about the podcast, listeners. And you've been waiting for your fix of puns. Well, we're back now. And we're also on Patreon, aren't we, Steve? We are indeed. For patreon.com slash not enough champagne, give us a few pounds every month and you'll get access to uh, episodes that are unique for our backers and listeners over there, our champagners as we call them. Uh, yeah, and as uh, as we alluded to earlier, I suspect we'll probably do something talking about Sue Gray uh, and uh, Keir Starmer of, uh, offering the role of uh, uh, Chief of Staff as a Look, that's the sort of thing we'll, we'll go into there. Absolutely. High highfalutin Labour factionalism is exactly the kind of thing I want to see. It's all, nice. it's all very much in our wheelhouse. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne. Our Facebook, I've said that already, haven't I? Twitter. Our Twitter handle's <laughs> champagne pod. I've just been away so long, this, this is terrible, isn't it? Um, James Cram, designer local. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. Dave Deppert composed our theme tune, Pookie Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Pookie Good Happy plotting. <laughs> <laughs>